Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's thank Jay and Erica. Thank you, guys. We just set that down there where I usually sit anywhere? Go get him. No problem. Man, should have known better than to bring Jay up here and get me all emotional. <laughs> so uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Um, if you want to check in on social media, we love that. If you want to send out anything just to let no people know that God's moving in here, uh, we encourage that as well. We have two more weeks. Uh, in the series on Nehemiah, a series that we've called Broken. And if there's a thread or a theme that runs through Nehemiah is that God is in the business of rebuilding, that God is in the business of, of restoration, that God desires revival, and that God's plan for that is us, that God uses his people to accomplish his purposes, that for some uh, reason that sometimes perplexes me, God has chosen to use broken people, fallen people, sinful people, redeemed people to bring about the kingdom of God. And, and so we see that throughout this book. The last three weeks, we've been talking about unity, and, and what we've said is that it, unity really is our witness, that the only way we're ever gonna have unity is if we are willing to put on Christ first and have every other identity marker be second to that. So male, female, right? Black or white, Republican or Democrat, those all have to come under the banner of Christ, under the clothing or the covering of Christ. And that's gonna be, <coughs> excuse me, our credibility. That's gonna be our witness. In the eyes of the world, the credibility of the gospel rests on our unity. So Nehemiah, has showed us we are to be one. He's shown us uh, throughout this book that we, all of us, the Jay Hills of the world, but everyone else in this room, we are called to be on mission. And the reality of this calling to be on mission is that it never really ends. You don't get to say, I've completed the mission, I'm done. I was thinking about this as I was writing the sermon and thinking about Jesus and all the times it would have made perfect sense for him to say, it doesn't get any better than that. So little bit of creation work, it was pretty good, right? He could have said, well, it doesn't get any better than that. I created the world, look at it, right? It's pretty good. Or, or just the incarnation, uh, all the miracles that he promised. You know, if he'd have raised Lazarus from the dead and he had said, well, that, that's pretty good. I can quit now. It doesn't get any better than that, right? His, his crucifixion, his, his burial, his resurrection, that was, that was pretty cool. He could have, that would have been a good place to sort of say, well, that's the end of my ministry, I, I, I'm done there. But he, there's an ascension, right? And then Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and to this day he intercedes for you and I. He's gonna come back. The mission continues. And part of what I want you to hear is that your mission continues. God is calling you into mission and you don't get to say, oh, I've done that, I've been there, I've already served, I've already talked to people about Jesus. It, it continues. We don't get to check out. We are to stay on mission. And what I want you to hear is if you are on mission, you will face opposition. If you are on mission, you will face opposition. 
And what we're going to learn from Nehemiah in chapter 6 is there's a way to persevere. There's a way to, to move through opposition. We're going to see some pretty dramatic opposition to the work that God has called Nehemiah to. And we're going to see how he navigates through it. What I want you to hear this morning is you have an enemy who wants to take you out. Jay Hill, you have an enemy that doesn't want this church plant to succeed. Grace Community Church, the more God moves in this place, the more opposition I feel. It's just the way it's gonna be, and we need to recognize it, and we need to pray through it, and we need to, to, to move through it and to stay on mission. So Nehemiah 6, I'm gonna start reading in verse 1. It says, now when Zambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to the time I had not set the doors and the gates, Zambalat and, and Geshem, they sent to me saying, come, let us meet together in Hecaphrim and, and in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent me to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Symbolic, on the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hands and, it, and in it was written, it is reported among the nations, so not just around here, but among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. But this is why you're building a wall. And according to these reports, you, talking to Nehemiah, wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you and Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now, come, let us take counsel together. And then I sent to him, saying, no such thing as you say have been done. You are inventing them in your own mind, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delay, son of Methbel, uh, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors to the temple, for they, talking about your enemies, are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Nadea, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Let me pray. Lord, there's a lot here. Help us to uh, hear what you want us to hear. Help us to make application from your word this morning into our own lives. For the people in this room who uh, don't know you, may they come to the, to the knowledge of your son. Norflet talked about the Holy Spirit being in us if you know Jesus. May every person in this room surrender their lives to Jesus and receive the free gift of eternal life in your Holy Spirit. Help us to be on mission as individuals and as a church. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us to know that there's a, an enemy who desires to destroy us, but we have everything we need for victory. 
Jesus' name, amen. So there's one phrase uh, that I want you to hold on to this morning that comes out of chapter six. As I uh, was praying about this message uh, throughout the week and even this morning, uh, I've been praying that, that this phrase would, would be kind of uh, seared in your heart and that you would hold on to it. And the, the phrase is found in verse three. Nehemiah is talking and he's talking to his enemies and he says these words. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I pray this morning that when opposition comes, that you would say, I am doing a great work. Why should I come down? And the first thing I want you to recognize, and that I think many of us kind of need to sit with this one, is that if you are doing what God is asking you to do, then you are doing a great work. So many people in this room would be too insecure or uh, self-effacing or uncomfortable saying, I am doing, <clears throat> excuse me, a great work. So let me be bold in telling you this. Satan has deceived you. He wants you to think that what you are doing is less than what somebody else is doing. So when Jay Hill comes on the, on the platform and, and with his wife Erica and they talk about planning a church, the evil one's going to whisper in your head, yeah, but what you're doing is nothing compared to what they're doing. Oh, yeah, but if you could just be like that person. And what I want you to hear is if you are doing what God is calling you to do, if you are obedient to God in whatever he's calling you to do, then what you are doing is a great work. That means it's a great work to be a church planner, but it's a great work to be an accountant or a plumber or an investment banker or a mother or a father or a brother or a sister, right? We do what God wants to do. So uh, the apostle Paul, he's, he's writing uh, in one of his, his letters, he's writing and, and he wants the people to know that you are doing a great work. And so he writes these words in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. What I love about this passage is Paul picks probably the two most normal, mundane things. Maybe you could add sleeping in there, although I don't know how we sleep to the glory of God, but these are pretty normal tasks. Whether you're eating, right, or whether you're, you're drinking, whether you're going to the baseball game, whether you're uh, whatever. The, the, the idea here is in the simplest things that we can do it in such a way as to bring glory to God. And I've said this many times up here, but what does it mean to bring glory to God? It means to make God known. In everything you do, do it in such a way that, that people see you doing it and it makes God known. That's the, the great work. So everything we do, like driving down the freeway, can be done to the glory of God. We probably should all write that one somewhere, right? Right? You can drive in such a way to bring glory to God. You can drive in such a way with certain gestures that doesn't bring glory to God. Right? But the idea here is that you're constantly thinking, how can I do this, this simple thing that God has put in front of me, this normal thing that God has put in front of me, in a way that brings glory to God or makes God known? Playing sports, eating out talking to your coworker, the way you, you do your job in front of your boss, all can be done in such a way to bring glory to God, to make God known, right? You are to be on mission 
you are called to make God known. So at Grace, we have this thing called the six essentials. These are the six necessary essentials that you need in your life in order to grow spiritually. One of them is that you gather, that you do what you're doing this morning, that you make the gathering a priority, whether it's Sunday morning or soon, soon to be Saturday night and Sunday morning, that you choose a service and that you, you make it a regular part of your attendance. If you are a once every six weeks, every four weeks kind of visitor or, or, or attender, it's going to impact your spiritual growth. And we know that Sunday and Saturday nights isn't enough, so we know that you need to connect. You need to be connected with people in a small group. That's why we're pushing the D groups and the C groups, discipleship groups and, and community groups, that you need to be a person that serves. God has given you gifts. God has given you a work to do. That's part of something you need to grow into, that we want you to have hearts of generosity, that you need to be people of devotion, fully devoted to God. But the last one is that you are people of influence. It's one of the six essentials because it's part of how God has wired us. We are all called to have influence for the kingdom of God. We are all called to be on mission and make God known. And so when we live out 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, that is a great work. And we make a cosmically tragic mistake when we qualify some works as great and others as not so important. It's exactly what Satan wants you to do. So, I don't do this very often. I'll steal a page from Norflet. Turn to somebody beside you and say to them, I am doing a great work. Go ahead. All right, turn to the person on the other side of you and tell them, I am doing a great work. What I want you to notice about the phrase is it's present tense, it's not past tense. I did a great work, it's not future tense. Someday I hope to do a great work. The passage says, I am, current tense right now, doing a great work. If you are on mission, if you are doing what God is calling you to do, you are doing a great work work. And if you are on mission, you will receive invitations. You will be enticed. You will be tempted. You will have moments where something is stirring that draws you away from the good work. This is what happens to Nehemiah, right? So Nehemiah gets an invitation. Uh, he's, he's, he's asked to, to come down. He says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now, I love this because the fact is he was talking geographically, like I cannot travel down off this, this mountain to see you down to the plain of Ono. But I like it because it kind of is a visual for me of stooping to a lower level. I cannot be dragged down to your level. I cannot stoop to the level that, that, that you want me to stoop to. In this one chapter in Nehemiah, Satan is, is chasing after uh, Nehemiah, and he, in my opinion, he pulls out all the stops, and he tries to get Nehemiah to be distracted from the great work he's doing. So look at verse one. It says, when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of his enemies, jump to two, they sent to me saying, come, let us meet together. You gotta pay attention to who the invitation's coming from. These are the guys that have been in opposition since day one. So Nehemiah knows it's probably not just an invitation to have tea, right? There's something going on here. It's a greater, he, he's aware of who is doing the inviting. And even though they are people of influence, people of power, he knows that, that it's not a, the invitation isn't exactly what he says. As a matter of fact, in verse three, he says, but I, I knew that they intended to harm me. 
There was a point in time in my mid-30s, early 30s, when I finally made a decision uh, or God in, invited me and I, and, I, and I accepted the invitation to walk with Jesus and to, to give my life to him in a, in a serious way. Uh, and in that moment, many things in my life began to change. A lot of the activities that I participated in prior to that, I just couldn't do anymore. They just weren't healthy for me. They were destructive to my family, all kinds of things. So there was kind of a before Jesus and after Jesus part of my life, but I had a lot of friends or, you know, I feel like I should say friends. They were friends in the, that earlier life who began to send a lot of invitations my way. Hey, we're going to Vegas for the weekend. You should come with us. Hey, we're going up north on a golfing trip. You should come with us. And it was clear they were trying to pull me back in, right? But I had to have the resolve to say, look, that is not healthy for me. I can't be a part of that group. I am not able to go with those guys and be an influence. If I go with them, I'm going to be influenced, right? It was a, a way for me, and I didn't have these words in, but in a way, what I was thinking to myself is I can't go with you. God has begun to do something good in my life, and I can't come down to that. I can't come with you and, and do those things you're asking me to do. You need to pay attention to the invitation. Who is inviting you? What are they inviting you to do? God has given you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is called the counselor. So ask him, is this a, a good thing for me? Is this, is this an opportunity for me to have influence, or is this going to influence me? Is this going to pull me away from the good work that God has begun in me? You may just have to say to your friends, sorry, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. And they'll say, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, but you can say it. And the truth of the matter is, that one phrase, is, if it was in our DNA all the time, it would save us from so much heartache and pain. It would, it would save ourselves from making decisions that we just shouldn't be making. So Nehemiah declines this invitation, right? And of course, his enemies, they, they're not giving up. So they come at him a whole different way. They begin to now, instead of inviting him away and wanting to do harm to him, if they can't do harm to him physically, then they're going to harm his reputation. If Satan cannot distract you from your mission, he will try to discredit you in the eyes of other people. You can take it to the bank. There will be those who question your motives who come after you. So look at verse five. <coughs> it says, in the same way, symbolic, for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hands. An open letter means that it was a public document. It probably was read right at the city gates where a lot of the, the, the court system would happen at the city gates and, and there was a lot of activity there. So this is a letter that would have been read to the, all the people when they were coming and going. An open letter just means it was open to the public, right? And the letter was meant to challenge Nehemiah's motivation. They said, you're rebelling from the king. You're trying to make yourself the king, and if the, the thing here is if that were true, or even if the king thought it was true, even if it wasn't true, but if the king thought it was true, he would roll in there, he would level Jerusalem, and he would kill the people. It was a powerful king who would not have that kind of rebellion in his midst. So, so the rumor is meant to not only discredit Nehemiah, but to create fear in the people, even if they didn't quite believe it, if they thought, and remember it says, this has been talked about among all the nations. We all know that's what you're doing. They lined up the Indians as we sometimes do. Lots of people are talking and they all said, 
right? And so, so there's this picture of, of trying to discredit Nehemiah, create fear in the, in the people. In verse eight, he says, no such thing you say has been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. He speaks truth back to the accusations. You wanna frighten us thinking that their hands will drop from the work and they will not be done. And then he prays, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. It was intended to stop the work. Satan's gonna come after you, Jay. There will be people who wanna discredit your reputation, right? People who are not gonna wanna see the work go forward because Satan doesn't wanna see another vibrant church in Harper Woods. And you need to be ready. And you need to make sure that you don't give Satan anything to discredit your reputation and stop the good work. So if you're on mission, you're gonna face opposition. Sometimes it's gonna come from, from criticism. Sometimes it's gonna be a chase after your character. And when it happens, what do you need to do? You need to rejoice. You need to be excited. Jesus said, hey, if they persecuted you, or persecuted me, they're certainly gonna persecute you. Jesus' reputation was called into question throughout his entire ministry. Some said he was in league with the devil. And he says, look, you should expect the same thing. So it's an opportunity for you to realize I must be doing some things right because the opposition is coming. So you rejoice because you're in good company. So the invitation comes and that doesn't work. The character assassination comes and that doesn't work. And so now we see another strategy employed by his enemies. And to me, this is the one that feels the most scary because it would have been so easy for Nehemiah to slip up and this one, look at verse 10. It says, now when the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delay, uh, who was son of Methbah or Methabel, um, he was confined to his home, which just means he probably had some kind of injury and he was stuck in his home. So this Shemaiah guy, he's a prophet. He's a priest. He's a person that we should be able to trust, right? There, there's a, what, what gets me kind of like paying close attention to this is this is the guy I should be going to for advice, right? That's who Nehemiah should be able to get the best advice from. But this guy, he says to him, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors in the temple. They are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Another attempt to stop the great work that Nehemiah is doing. Another attempt to foster fear in Nehemiah. But the problem is the prophet, the priest proposes doing something that God's word says is not allowed, right? So Nehemiah is not a priest. Nehemiah is not allowed to go into the, into the inner building of the temple and close the door. He would be in a, an area where only the priests were allowed to be. Nehemiah would have known the story of King Uzziah who went into the, the inner court and, and went into the building and was struck with leprosy. He would have known that God forbids it. So the fact that that he was asking him to do something that he knew God wasn't telling him to do or God had, had actually restricted or said, this is illegal for you to do, he responds with these words in verse 11, should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? Because that's what the Bible says. It says if you go in, uh, God's gonna strike you. Nehemiah's not a priest. He's not permitted. He sees right through it. Look at verse 12. He says, and I understood when I saw the conflict, when I saw that he was asking me to do something that the word of God says I'm not allowed to do, I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. 
for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. They didn't think that if Nehemiah went in, he was gonna be struck dead, but what they did know is if he went in, that he would have sinned, that the people would have seen it, that they would have seen a, a glitch in his character, that they would have, have stopped following him. It would have also instilled fear in the people because he would have succumbed to fear himself. His reputation as a man of God, his reputation as a leader was on the line, and it would have been damaged if he had listened to this false prophet. Open up, if you still have it open, look at uh, verse 15. All of these oppositions come. Nehemiah doesn't succumb to any of them. And in verse 15, it says, so the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month of Elu, in 52 days, and when our enemies heard of it, the nations around us were afraid. They fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. When we are united on mission, when we resist those invitations to get off track, a, a great work happens. We accomplish more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And the people out there see what's happening in here and around here, and they see God. It's how we bring glory to God. It's how we make God known. 52 days, it was a miracle. And we know it was a miracle because all of the surrounding people saw it and marveled and said, man, God must be with them. How could they accomplish so much? That's how it's supposed to be in the church. We are supposed to be united and on mission and miracles are supposed to happen around us and God is supposed to move in such a way that people see God at work, that they come to know their father who loves them. In a couple weeks when we finish Nehemiah, we're gonna launch this thing called the B Campaign. We're gonna call everyone in this church to be on mission, to be the solution, to be the difference maker. We're gonna talk about the Saturday service, we're gonna talk about the, the tutoring program, but we're gonna call the people of, of grace to, to lock arms, just like the people in Nehemiah's day, and to, to do something that causes the city and the world to look and say, how is that possible? It must be God. So what I want you to hear this morning is that you're called to be on mission. And if you're on mission, you will face opposition. And when you face opposition, you need to say, I am doing a good work. I cannot come down. Before I wrap things up, I just wanna point back to what we've learned in Nehemiah. There's three necessary elements, if you will, for for serving and that serve and protect us to stay on mission. Three important elements. So these three necessities for staying on mission. And the first one is prayer. If you read Nehemiah, you can't miss the fact that he is a man of prayer. So in verse one, when he hears the, or chapter one, when he hears the bad news, he fasts and prays. In chapter two, when the king comes to him and, and asks him what's wrong, he prays before he speaks. In chapter three, he prays a, a prayer that God would keep his enemies at bay. At chapter five, he prays that God would strengthen his hand for the, for the work that's ahead of him. In chapter six, that we just read, he actually prays twice. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. If you want to stand the test, if you want to stand firm when opposition comes, you have to, have to, have to be a person of prayer. 
We need to be a church that's committed to praying. You need to be a people that's committing to prayer. Prayer is what's gonna protect you from destructive decisions and in accepting destructive invitations. The second thing that we see throughout Nehemiah's life is the word of God. Nehemiah knows the Bible. He knows the prophecies of God. He knows the promises of God. He knows the character of God. And you can see it in his prayers. He prays back the very promises of God. Right out of the first chapter, he begins to pray what God had promised, what God had prophesied. And if we think about just this week and what we see in chapter six, it's because he knew the word of God that he wasn't tricked into going into the temple. He knew what the Bible said and he knew, no, that's counter to what God has already told me in his word I'm supposed to do. We have to be people who are in the word. That's why it's so important that you participate in the 15 minutes with God where you just read a chapter You ask God what he wants to say through that chapter and you journal about it. When you get the notes today that John sends out, what we read will be in there and we're all reading the same things together, but participate that. Make the word of God a foundation in your life. And the last thing we see with Nehemiah is godly character. Here's what I want you to hear. If Nehemiah had a secret life, if Nehemiah had a secret sin, If in the evening after he rallied the people to build the wall, he went home and sat at his computer and looked at pornography, I know he didn't have a computer, it's just an example. Satan would have peeled the layers back and he would have exposed that lack of integrity. Satan did not want this to go forward. He would have found any way, make no mistakes, what's done in the dark will be brought into the light. You cannot have a secret life that is not going to be exposed and it keeps us from being on mission. It keeps us from doing the very thing that God has called us to do. But Nehemiah is a man of character. He's a man of integrity and nothing that he does is going to disrupt or derail the ministry that he has. Your character has to be strong enough to carry the weight of your ministry. So what I want to do this morning, um, I know we're already a little bit late, but hey, it's only one service, so let it go. Um, We're going to be saying that a lot probably, right? Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and uh, we just made this decision uh, during the worship, but I want to do uh, the third song that we did in the worship set, Um, and I just want to invite you to come down and receive prayer. As we sing, if you want to come down, great. If you don't, if you would just be out there praying this song with us and praying. Uh, But that last verse talks about there's a miracle that needs to happen in this place. And for some of you, you know that God has called you to something. And so maybe you just need somebody to pray, just a prayer of blessing over that thing that God is calling you to do. For some of you, you know, you got a secret life and you need to let go of it. We prayed for you this morning and what we heard is that there's people in the room that have addiction and God wants to set you free. Some of you, you just have a physical ailment. We heard this morning that there were people, somebody in here that has a stomach ulcer and we just think that God wants to pray and bring healing to that. So if that resonates with you, come down and let us pray for you. But I just wanna sing this song and I just wanna invite your ministry team, if you wanna come down now so that you're already here, that would be great. Uh, But we're gonna sing We're going to pray, and then I'll come back up, and we'll dismiss you.